Hey, everybody, Josh Kalinowski here. Um, I will tell you, I get excited about a lot of our podcast guests. And uh, this one, I will say, is by far the one that I was the most excited about. You know, as a as an athlete growing up, I always dreamed of uh, meeting my heroes and those that were already in the big leagues or they were already in, in the NFL. And, uh, you know, as my... As my um, playing days came over or got over with and I started to get into, um, you know, the real world, so to speak, you know, I started to have goals that didn't involve baseball. I had, I had, I started to have goals that, uh, were outside of the scope of sports and meeting people that, uh, were successful in business became really the, the next stage of, of my evolution as a leader. And, uh, this gentleman, Mark Batterson, uh, is an author that I have followed for many years. In fact, he wrote, he wrote one of the most impactful books in my life called play the man. And so to be able to have Mark on today was a, uh, was a dream come true. And it was an awesome opportunity, uh, just to chill out with the guy. Um, I felt like we were literally just sitting on the couch, um, having a beer, talking with each other and talking about the really important things in life. So Mark Batterson is a prominent pastor. He's a New York times best selling author and uh, his newest book, win the day, um, is a book that we're going to be talking about in this episode, but we're going to dive deep into some really good conversation about like what's going on in our culture, what's going on in our country. And I love some of the things that his book, when the day talks about, which is, um, you know, saying goodbye to dead yesterdays and cutting the rope. Uh, I love his formula for seeding the clouds. And so if you haven't picked up his book, Win the Day, I highly recommend it. If you haven't even heard of Mark Batterson, I recommend looking at his great list of books. You cannot go wrong with any one of them. We actually even talk about his first book and why he wants to try to get it off the shelves. But we dive into that and he, he kind of exposes actually the great books that came from that first opportunity to write a book. So enjoy my conversation with Mark Batterson. So this interview uh, is going to like it can hinge on this first question, dude. So it's either going to be a really excellent, excellent interview, or this could this could die really fast. Okay, I know you're a big I know you're a big football fan. I know that you you've written that in many of your books. We have the Super Bowl coming up. When this podcast is out, we're already going to know who won. But I, I just like to know because I've got I've got a team in this. I got a dog in this fight here. Who do you have winning this Super Bowl, brother? Oh, man. Well, I'll just say, based on my prognostication record, you may want me to pick the team that you aren't cheering for. So I'll just put that out up front. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think I think that uh, as amazing as Tom Brady is, the guy has a lot of rings, and he does have more fingers for those rings. Right. Uh, I have a feeling that the Chiefs might – they have a little bit more talent. Yeah. And so um, we'll see how this plays out. I'm not saying I'm cheering for them, but I'm probably calling uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. All right, buddy. This is going to be your day, brother, because I we are a huge Chiefs fan in, in the Kalinowski household, brother. So uh, I love your pick. And I hope, 
I hope your pick is right for sure. But uh, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, gosh, you got to respect Tom Brady and what he's done and the accomplishments. I mean, I know that if he wins this Super Bowl, he'll have more Super Bowls than any other franchise except for the Steelers. So that's a quite an amazing feat right there. Uh, un unbelievable. And you must feel blessed and highly favored as a Chiefs fan with uh, with the uh, quarterback that you have, Patrick Mahomes, and uh, the supporting cast. Yeah. Uh, listen, I'm just going to say, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's been great. We're, I would say that we're fans. We're not fanatics. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we enjoy the game. We enjoy games. But I'll tell you what, I find more enjoyment out, out of watching my boys and my daughters play their sports. So uh, as much fun as that is. Can I share a fun fact? Uh, because I'm guessing there, there might be a few kind of sports fans watching. Uh, and this has helped me because I, I do. I'm kind of a diehard fan. The fans of losing teams experience a 20% drop in testosterone after a loss. And I'm guessing the opposite is true, that a team that wins, you get a 20% bump in testosterone. But for the Super Bowl, it's probably 30 or 40%, Josh. So um, good luck. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, I know that Monday, uh, what is it, half of the people don't even show up for work on Monday, either because they've celebrated too much or they just don't really want to get out of bed because they're so devastated by that loss. So, um, yes. so hey, but I just want to talk about, uh, uh, you know, really, you, you've just released this great new book, um, Win the Day. And I'd love to know, like, why now? Like, wh why does, what do you feel like this message needs to, uh, to be out there right now? Why does it resonate with our current culture, uh, our current climate, and what's going on in the world? Yeah. Well, you know, right now, I think 18% of leaders in a survey I saw feel qualified to lead. Uh, in other words, um, you know, two out, of, two out of every 10. And I'm wondering who those 18% are because all of us are a little past their pay grade, little out of our comfort zone. And uh, between the COVID crisis, racial polarization, I'm in DC. So we feel it with great intensity. It's a hard time to be a leader right now, but I, I will say this, uh, we are here for such a time as this. This is the moment when I think leaders stay calm and carry on. And where I'm going with this, is uh, leadership always starts with self-leadership and self-leadership always boils down to daily habits. And so I think this is a moment where you got to go back to winning the day. And, and the truth is none of us know what the new normal is going to look like on the far side of this. So I feel like the timing of this book is, is really critical. And I'll, I'll say one more thing, Josh, I, I've led every kind of person under the sun, every number on the Enneagram, every letter on the Myers-Briggs. Uh, I've led people you would clone if you could. I've led what I call EGR people, extra grace required. Uh, the hardest person to lead, hands down, is the guy that looks back in, at me in the mirror every single morning. And so I've got to make sure in a season like this that I'm leading myself really well. And that boils down to my daily disciplines, physical, emotional, uh, relational, spiritual, uh, and even emotional. I've got to make sure that I'm on point and winning the day in those areas of my life.
It's so impactful, and I, you know, one of the themes that we've had within our companies over the last year with everything going on is to lead with faith over that fear. And, and it's not about getting rid of the fear. We have to embrace that fear, um, and we have to have that faith. And, I, and just like you're saying, I think there's uh, two things. Obviously, that faith with the personal relationship with we have with, with God, but also that faith within, our, within ourselves to lead ourselves through these challenges. You know, I'm curious to know, you know, one of the things you just talked about was your, um, like your routines and how you're having to, you know, fill your cup. You know, has that changed? First of all, has it changed over the years? Did it change dramatically over the last year? What does that look like for you in order for you to be the best you can possibly be for those that you're leading? Yeah. You know, I, the only ceiling on your intimacy with God and impact on the world is daily spiritual disciplines. And so I'm going to, I'm going to put on my pastor hat and just say that that's what it comes down to. It's, it's a prayer habit. It's a daily Bible reading plan. That's been my lifeline over the last year. Uh, I have it stacked. I, I walk into my office, which is right above the coffee house that we own and operate on Capitol Hill. And I get my small latte, two shots, because the Bible reads better with caffeine. I'm just going to put that out there. And I, I do my Bible reading plan as I drink my, uh, my latte. And it's how my day starts. And it really sets the tone. It gets me on a certain wavelength. And, and honestly, it actually gets into that first habit, which is flip the script, that it's so critical that that I'm taking my cues, not, not from other people's expectations or the labels that people put on me, but that I'm really taking my cues uh, from scripture. Um, and, and I like to think of scripture as the script cure. Uh, if you don't like your life, it's probably because you're living the wrong story. You've got to change the story that you're telling yourself. And so my morning routine is kind of getting locked and loaded in that way. And uh, it, it usually gets my day off to a pretty good start. Yeah, that's awesome, brother. Well, I know that you share a lot of those experiences uh, in your books uh, as they've been published and so forth. So it's been fun to watch that journey and what you've been doing in your life. Um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about earlier uh, from a podcast that you did with Carrie Newhoff was this 48 hour silent retreat. And I tell you, you know, I've, I've been able to do that twice now. I did a 24-hour one. Uh, you know, this is new for me, and, and uh, I had to get a little bit of permission from the wife and the kids. Um, but I was able to do that, and I will tell you the impact that it made in my life. You know, I was able to, um, I was able to work on the things that were important and not the things that were so urgent. And I think, of course, that's some of the things that bogs us down is that we keep getting that pressure of just continuously getting that urgent things in our life. And we forget the important things, right? I'm curious to know, like, you know, how long have you done that? How did you, like, was it a, was it someone that was sitting at your table, uh, you know, a mentor of yours that, that opened up that opportunity and, dis and you discovered it through that? Was it God whispered to you and said, Hey, you got to do this. What was, what was that journey like for you? Yeah. Well, I, I might zoom out the camera a little bit and say that, that I have this formula change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. And when it comes to rhythms and routines, this is so critical. And by the way, not just spiritually, you know, it's the law of requisite variety that if you go to the gym and you do the same exercise, same repetitions, same sequence every time, 
it will lose effectiveness. You actually have to confuse your muscles and change that routine to really optimize that workout. And so in much the same way, uh, I've got to mix up my spiritual routine with uh, a silent retreat here or a fast over there. Or one of the things that I do is I change Bible translations every year because it, it forces me to kind of, it, it makes my synapses fire in just a little different way. And so this seems counterintuitive, but I'm guessing it's your language, Josh, especially since uh, you wrote a book called Strike Three. So you're using a pitching metaphor. Right. If a pitcher only has a fastball, Eventually, the hitters are going to catch up to it. I don't care if you're Nolan Ryan. The hitters are going to catch up to it eventually. You need a curveball. You, you need a changeup. And so I think what I'm getting at is part of winning the day is creating these routines, but then you occasionally have to deconstruct and reconstruct those routines to really make sure uh, that, they're, that they're working for you. And so the silent retreat is just sort of one expression of if you can do that once or twice a year, it's a very, very healthy routine. Um, but by the way, one other thing, and it's not a silent retreat, it would be the opposite of it. Uh, my wife and I do an annual retreat involving lots of talking uh, where we are budgeting and calendaring and talking about word of the year and verse of the year. And so I, I might just, you have to kind of counterbalance those two things. And I think um, you, you find essentially what works for you and what's gonna be a catalyst in your own spiritual growth. I love that you segued into that. Um, my wife, Kate, and I are actually getting away next Wednesday to have that time. And we're really gonna be talking about, um, you know, one of the things that we believe in, and we, we talk about this a lot in one of our groups called Kingsman is, of five foundations, faith, family, fitness, finance, and your future. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we don't really pay attention to the future and we don't spend enough time really planning of like what we want for the future and what we, what we believe that God's calling us to do in the future because we're so worried about the present. And uh, so we're going to get away and do that. I also love uh, the fact that you mentioned the word of the year. Um, we have been doing that in our company for about five years now. And we are, it's kind of required reading anytime that you become uh, a member of our, uh, of our Kalinowski Enterprises company company. I'm just out of curiosity, how long have you been doing that? Um, I mean, has it, has it been, has it made an impact in your life? Like uh, it has in my life, it's been a driving force and it really has been that theme for the year. Just out of curiosity for you on your word. Yeah. You know, it creates a focal point. So it kind of helps you have a mindset going into a year. So I would say that the word of the year is it can be a powerful thing. You know, some years I've been more effective at living it out for 12 months. Other years, you know, maybe not as effective. I would put the verse of the year probably on par with it just because of some of the impact that it's had in my life. Um, and it's amazing how sometimes you choose a verse and it really does become the script for that year. Um, but, but I think, you know, Josh, one way or the other, I think why it's significant is this, this cluster of brain cells at the base of the brainstem, the reticular activating system that determines what we notice and what goes unnoticed. And so whether it's prayer, 
or goal setting or a gratitude journal um, or a word of the year, I, I think it sanctifies that reticular activating system in a way that allows us to really get the most out of every day that we possibly can because we're not living aimlessly, but we really have a, a focal point that's taking us into the future. Yeah, I love this uh, verse of the year. So it's the first time I've actually heard that. So uh, that, that's going to be a new hack, and I know that we're going. I'm going to be really thinking about that. So by the end of February, I will have uh, a verse of the year too, brother. That is that is awesome. Thanks. Um, you know, one of the things I love about the books that I've read uh, from you um, is the this idea and this concept of God-sized dreams. And you know, we uh, you know. As, a, uh, as an entrepreneur, and I have a, a number of companies that I am fortunate to be a part of, um, we're always putting big dreams and big goals in front of us. And I love the permission to have this really big, audacious goal that you know that it could not be done by your talent alone, right? I love these God-sized dreams that you start talking about in your books. I'm curious, I know that you guys have done some amazing things and I love the stories that you tell throughout your books. What does that look like now? You guys have, I know that you guys have this big city block that you wanna convert into and have this big vision for that. Obviously everything that happened last year with COVID and now the new way that we're looking at workspace and, and being around people. What is the mindset around it for you guys now? Like, how does that look like for the vision going forward for this dream that God put on your heart? He's given you the opportunity, but now you have a culture that's kind of saying, ah, oh, that's not the best way to, to utilize this space possibly. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, and for starters, our dreams aren't getting any smaller. Yeah. Uh, we, the, the way that you steward a miracle is by believing God for even bigger and better miracles. And so, you know, when we started out, um, we had a core group of 19 people. Uh, our income as a church was $2,000 a month, and we paid $1,600 to the D.C. public school that we rented. So that left $400 for our, our salary and all other expenses. But if I remember right, uh, Zachariah 4 said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And so I'm a big believer that if you do little things like they're big things, God's going to do big things like they're little things. And so fast forward, you know, that was 1996. We start with 19 people. We give our first $50 check to missions as a church. We've now given $25 million to missions. We've taken 273 mission trips, but it started with that first $50 check. And then I did a 4.7 mile prayer walk. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a, hey, I'm going to pray a perimeter around the place that God called us, which happens to be Capitol Hill. Josh, we now own half a dozen properties on that prayer circle, including that city block that you mentioned. Yeah. We bought it for $29 million, which I didn't have a category for that. We put another, we put another 20 million into it and, and we're debt free. Now, if anyone can explain that to me, um, I, I tell you what, here's what I believe. Give and it'll be given unto you good measure, press down, shaking together, running over, we poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. I think when you operate out of generosity, there's just, there's this law of reciprocity that happens. And so 
Um, here we are with a city block that we are building out. We're about to open a child development center that'll be one of the largest CDCs in the nation's capital, about 200 kids. Um, it'll meet a real need in real time. Well, why, why would you do that? Because Jeremiah 29, we're seeking the peace and prosperity of our city. We're not thinking right here, right now. God's thinking nations and generations. So let's do things that'll make a difference to that third and fourth generation. And so I guess what I'm saying is let's dream big, but let's start small and let's think long. And if we do those things in combination, then in my experience, you know, we overestimate what we can do in a year or two, but underestimate what God can do in 10 or 20. And so, again, we started with 19 people, but give it 25 years. And I think the moment comes where you step back and you say, look at what the Lord has done. That's awesome, brother. Very inspiring for sure, man. You know, it got me thinking as you were saying this, of course, the enthusiasm and, you know, as leaders, you know, it's our job to cast that vision and to bring uh, that and inspire people to do, you know, big things and, and to be that person, that rock for them. I know you're obviously, as a man of faith, that God does that for you, but who do you have mentors? Do you have a group of people that you're just going... You know, because the corner offices can be really lonely, you know. You've got to lead every single day. you got to show up ready to pour into these people and give of yourself and your heart. How do you continue to uh, keep your cup flowing and overflowing knowing that you've got a, I mean, you've got a ton of pressure. There's no doubt about it, right? And people learn, they lean on you and they lean on your wisdom and they lean on your faith and their faith in, in them. You know, how, how do you handle all of that? Well, uh, you better stay humble and stay hungry for starters. Yeah. Um, you got to stay grounded, you know, so I'll I'll just share this at the end of the day, I want to be famous in my home. Yeah. And so I, I try to always keep that in mind that success is when those who know me best respect me most. Mm -hmm. Now that said, um, yeah, we're, we're dreaming some God-sized dreams as a church and, I mean, I, I've got some dreams that, that aren't even close to being fulfilled. I've got a movie script that I'm shopping right now that, that the day will come, but I don't know when or how or where. So I'm going to keep going after those things that are a little bit beyond my ability, beyond my resources, uh, beyond my pay grade. Um, so what I do, Josh, is... Uh, I really try to spend time with people that are going to stretch me, that people that make me feel like my goals are small. Um, so I, I, I'll never forget the first time I had dinner with Bob Goff. Now, Bob uh, wrote a book called Dream Big, and uh, he's everybody's kind of favorite uncle or grandfather. We sat down to dinner, Josh, and, and the first thing he says is, you guys should take over a country. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? Is he serious? And, you know, if you know Bob, he was actually serious. Like, you know, he's just someone who forces you to think a little bit bigger, to, to dream uh, a little bit larger. Um, so I, I think you've got to be around people that sort of stretch your faith. And I think that's that's what a faith community is to me. Like you get around people with faith and you get herd immunity to fear. Yeah. And it allows you to just begin to go after some things. Um, 
Could I, could I share one other thought that I'm just thinking of it? It's not a direct answer to your question, but I think it's mission critical. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I have a, a spiritual father. His name's Dick Foth, almost 80 years old. And he took me under his wings when I was a rookie pastor. Uh, he's a former college president. Um, and he pastored a church for a while himself. And so you need someone in your life that's been there and done that. And it doesn't even have to be someone that's accomplished, you know, amazing things, even though, you know, I think Dick has, I think it's just someone that is a steadying voice in your life that, that can ask the hard question. Whenever, whenever he calls me, he doesn't ask me how I'm doing. He says, how's Laura doing? Because he knows how my wife is doing is number one, how I'm doing how I'm doing as a, as a husband and then how I'm doing, you know, in every other area. But he shared something with me that I think is, is so valuable. He said, there are two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of person that walks into a room and internally announces here I am. In other words, it's all about them. Their ego barely fits through the door. It's kind of me, myself and I, and he said, there's a second kind of person that walks in and says, there you are. It's all about everybody else. And I just think the world would be a much better place and organizations would have much healthier cultures if we had a lot more there you are kind of people that check their ego at the door. And, and to me, that's what begins to set the stage to even go after some of those God-sized goals because Pride is going to be the thing that actually it keeps you from accomplishing them, because if you do, then you might experience success. But guess what? You don't have the character to sustain it. And so I think it's really critical that it's not about the dreams that we accomplish. It's about who we become in that process. Dude, I love that. That's such a great answer. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like you, you can really see the leaders that um, stand out as the, the humility they have and the counsel they have in others. Um, you know, one of the things that we constantly are talking about is, are you able to sit at the feet of another, right? And I think that once again, as those, those great leaders, they're able to do that. They're able to have that humility and to be able to take that wisdom from other people. So uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, what it really made me think about, you know, the, the first book that I was ever given uh, from you uh, was from my father, and it was uh, Play the Man. And uh, And I tell you what, brother, that was probably one of the most significant, pivotal books in my life uh, for the time where I was at and trying to, uh, trying to find my purpose, trying to figure out uh, what I was supposed to be doing uh, to serve God and to, 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 um, to live out a greater purpose in my life that wasn't really selfish. And um, since then, uh, I've, you know, I've reread that book numerous times. I've given hundreds of copies away. Um, I even did a, uh, uh, we did a, uh, a talk at the high school about chasing your lion. And so that's been a big theme in my life. Um, I've always been drawn to lions. Uh, one, of course, obviously the spiritual side of it. But I just love the fact that you're able to take that image. I love the books that you've written with it. One of the things that I'm so impressed with on your books is your storytelling about the lives of other people. And I'm curious to know, um, like, how, like, where are you finding these stories? Because, you know, I've, I've read a, a decent amount of books and you always are able to find a story that is just not that common or that's not really talked about. Where, where are you getting this, brother? This is just, it's awesome stuff. 
<laughs> well, let me let me back up the bus. Uh, I'm, I'm 22 years old and I feel this calling to write. But the irony is that I had just taken a graduate assessment that showed a low aptitude for writing. In other words, whatever you do, don't write books. Right, right. So writing is not a natural gifting. It's, it's my weekend, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I had to read if I was going to write. And so I, I did read 3,000 books before I wrote one. Right. And what I did is I began to discover genres of books that would kind of help me and I love history and biography. Ivan Pavlov said, if you want a new idea, read old books. Mm-hmm. And so what I try to do is read history and biography. And I am, I'm looking for those signature stories that I write about in Win the Day, because the thing that helps me understand the story that God's writing through my life is by hacking the habits and hacking the life story of people who have gone before me. And occasionally I'll find someone I love like Teddy Roosevelt and I'll read six or seven biographies because he's so fascinating to me. And then other people, Josh, I'll read one biography about DL Moody and I'll read one little story that, uh, He would feel a twinge of guilt if he heard the blacksmith's hammering before he was up praying. And that one little story will plant a seed that will totally shape my morning routine. And now I'm kind of off to the races. So part of what I want to do with Win the Day is I certainly share a lot of scientific studies as well, but I love sharing history and biography because Well, the way I see it is the way Emerson said it. Every man is my superior in some way, in that I learn of him. And so whether it's talking to you uh, today on the podcast or reading a book, I'm always trying to figure out how are you superior to me? And that's part of the there you are mindset. What, What does Josh have to teach me? There's something about what he's doing that, that I need to learn from him. And so that kind of is the mindset or the headspace uh, that has helped me when it comes to reading. And, uh, and I, I don't know how else to say it. I just, I love books. I read a lot of them and uh, I always read it with a pen. So I underline, I asterisk and I leaf over the pages there you have it. Yeah, I love it, buddy. Well, once again, that makes it, it just, your books are so entertaining. They're so insightful. I love how you're able to build all those stories together and your themes are just so powerful. You know, once again, the, uh, Ben AI and, and talking about him and the Legionnaire with the, with King David. I mean, once again, you just were able to go so deep on it and give new meaning and new life to old stories and make them um, really uh, part of even today's life, you know? So I uh, just absolutely love it. You know, one of the things that that, um, you know, as I was transitioning from um, a career in baseball to uh, what was now going to be my my life, you know, norm, normality, so to speak, um, is that I really felt like I didn't have a purpose. I felt like my purpose died. And I know Andy Stanley is a good friend of yours, and I got into really listening to Andy a couple years ago. And one of the things that was so powerful to me is when he made, when he defined purpose, right? And he defined it with, uh, you can find your purpose when you understand and feel the burden in your heart, 
with the uh, opportunity that you see and the skill that you have. And I'm just curious, um, what is the burden that you have? You've been able to do some amazing things, and I know God has used you as a platform to build his kingdom, and he continues to do that through you and because you continue to say yes. But uh, is there a burden on your heart that drives you to write the books and to uh, to grow the church and to build the ministry and to you know build the campus, all of these things? Uh, what is your burden? Yeah. Well, I, I like, uh, I had a professor that, that said, uh, what makes you cry or pound your fist on the table? In other words, what makes you mad or sad? I would add what makes you mad or sad or glad. In other words, what makes you smile? Mm -hmm. I think the thing that gets me up in the morning, Josh, is potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift back to God. Part of why this book is in a sweet spot for me is the thesis of the book is almost anyone can do almost anything if they work at it long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. And I, I try to share a lot of examples of that. I, I think God is in the business of using very ordinary people and uh, not just using our strong hand, but again, using that weak hand because that's where his power is made perfect. And so whether I'm parenting uh, my three kids, uh, or pastoring, what I'm trying to do is uh, help people reach their potential. And so as I see it, my job description as a pastor is, is this. Uh, it's to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Uh, I want to get you out of your comfort zone. Uh, I want to get you into a growth mindset because stewardship is doing the best you can with what you have where you are. And so that's kind of what makes me tick. It's all about seeing that potential in another person and then really helping them tap it. Love it, buddy. And I imagine, you know, it, uh... You know, I can't imagine living in Washington, D.C. I can't imagine everything that uh, you're having to go through through this entire year. And, of course, the political uh, political thing that are things that are going on. I saw the picture that you posted uh, just a couple weeks ago. And, you know, all of those stuff that just the, the angst that I'm sure that a lot of people, a lot of your parishioners are, are feeling and so forth and how you're having to lead through that. I'm just curious, you know, one of the things that we I'm talking constantly with uh, other leaders and other men uh, is this difference between values and virtues. And right now how, um, you know, we've, we've kind of, we seem somehow, especially in the Christian church, uh, we're, 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 we're misidentifying what we believe is a, a virtue, but we're really making it a value. And, you know, people can value a family. People can value certain things in their lives, and they put a lot of, uh, they put a lot of weight into that. We've seemed to lost some virtues in our modern culture. And as a, uh, as a pastor in Washington, you're dealing with a lot of political people for sure. I'm just curious to know, like, how do you, how do you uh, manage that balance? How, how are you able to lead in that uh, when you're dealing with, obviously, what you know is truth uh, and you also know what is reality and where we're at in our current society? Yeah. Um, I immediately think about David Brooks and the distinction that he makes between, I think he calls them resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Um, this idea that the resume virtues are skills that we bring to the table. And that's what a lot of our education focuses on. That, that's what a lot of us, you know, it's about the skill set. 
But I really think it's those eulogy virtues. In other words, what are you going to be remembered for? And, and those are a little bit harder to cultivate. And so I never want my, my resume virtues to take me further than my eulogy virtues can support. And so at the end of the day, um, our family is all about four things. Uh, humility, gratitude, generosity, and courage. Those are kind of our four cardinal virtues, if you will. Um, we, we don't always, you know, we don't always get it right, but those are kind of the things that we're aiming at or the things that we're targeting. And isn't it interesting that you go back many generations to Benjamin Franklin and sort of his attempt at, uh, self-help, if you will, um, right. you know, with his 13 kind of virtues that were his orientation, you know, one of them was humility. I, I think it's something that, well, um, it, it's, uh, it's too rare these days. Yeah. And, uh, and yet someone like Jim, Jim Collins would call it, you know, level five leaders are going to, they're going to exercise that humility. And so I think it's so important that we're cultivating those things uh, in, in our lives. Um, and, and that's, you know, when I say habit formation, most of us think about external habits that are going to increase productivity or efficiency. And so we think scales if we're a musician, we think skills if we're an athlete, and those things have tremendous value, but not as much as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Mm -hmm. I mean, th those nine virtues, which are fruit of the spirit, listen, that's what's gonna. That's what's gonna restore your marriage. That that's what's gonna make you the kind of leader that people want to follow. And that's gonna be the thing that when you get to the end of the day, you're gonna be able to actually celebrate. And so, making sure that we're focusing on those internal habits. And, and I do think it starts with, you know, flip the script and kiss the wave. Kind of these these habits that really help us. Um, bury dead yesterday so that we can be fully engaged kind of in, in the present moment. You know, one of the things, I, as I've talked to a lot of people that I've given that book to, I think one of the, the things that has allowed them to have permission to start chasing that line in their life was forgetting dead yesterdays. That just seems to be one of the most resounding themes. Is And, and I will tell you, just personally, um, you know, we, we, can't, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We can forgive other people. But forgiving ourselves is one of the hardest things that we have to learn to do. And I thought your your explanation and the fact that you had that in there in the book was a really pivotal time and moment for a lot of people. So uh, I love that you had that in there. Um, I know we only got a few minutes left, so I want to pivot really quick on just a few things. This is the first time out of all the books that you've written, at least that I could find, um, that you mentioned your first book, ID, The True You. And you talked about, and, and this really hit home with me because, you know, I'm, I'm releasing the first book, Strike Three, and you said, I'm trying to get it off the shelves. And I'm going, oh, God, I don't want to be the one saying I got to get it off the shelf. So I'm just curious, like, why is it? Why, 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 why would you want to get your first book off the shelf? Well, you know, <laughs> I wrote it. I wrote it in 40 days for starters. Um, you know, it's not my best piece of artistry. You know, imagine uh, 
Picasso or Van Gogh or Monet, any of them, if they go back and look at their early paintings, you know, they probably want to get them out of circulation. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I listen, God used that book um, to actually impact a lot of people's lives. So I make no apologies for it. Um, but, you know, I, I think it was a starting point for me. To me, Josh, it was about proving to myself that I could write a book. The interesting thing is, is that two of the chapter titles are In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day and Wild Goose Chase, which would be the first two published books that I wrote. So the way I look at it is it really was a, a seedbed for some of those future works. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Well, I love to hear that, you know, as I was, as we've been um, uh, discovering themes from the book, Strike Three, one of them is, is rebar, which goes to the virtues versus values and about having rebar in our foundations. And we lack, unfortunately, we, unfortunately if, we're not, if we're not growing in these virtues and using them in our lives, we're lacking the rebar to have a strong foundation. And so it's really uh, got us excited about the next book. The second book is going to be about rebar and uh, and creating a strong foundation in our lives. So I love that you said that. And so uh, that really just gives me, a, I think that right there was a good God moment for me and verification that uh, that was on my heart for a reason. And, and uh, he verified that with you. So thank you, Matt, for that. Yeah. Uh, and I love that idea for the next book, Rebar. That's That city block we're building out. We just did 109 micro piles, 40 feet deep to reinforce the footers of a 130-year-old building. So let's just say we, we added a lot of rebar so that we could build up above it. So I, I can't wait to read the first book and the second book. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that story. So you and I are going to have to have a conversation again, and I'll put it in the rebar book. Because that would be a great example, especially when it comes about faith. All right, buddy. Well, as we close this, I first of all, Dave, this has been so much fun. Uh, you've put me on cloud nine, and I know our audience is so excited to be hearing from you. Um, where can what, what's the best platform that people can follow you, that can listen to you? Uh, what, what do you prefer as a platform for them to to uh, get more of Mark Batterson? Well, I mean, a picture is worth a thousand words, so I kind of prefer Instagram, but. I'm on Twitter and Facebook, all of them at Mark Batterson. And then I might mention, Josh, that I've got seven steps to setting life goals and my list of 100 life goals at markbatterson.com. And that silent retreat that you referenced a little bit earlier, I might encourage a goal retreat. You take 48 hours and you kind of begin that process of goal setting and uh, I think those uh, those free downloads will be a, a helpful way to get that started. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, brother, this uh, by far, this is one of my favorite books. Um, it has not beaten Play the Man, which I think is your best book personally. But this is a fantastic book for sure. So uh, thank you for, uh, you know, th uh, seriously. And I, and I and as I was thinking about, um, you know, this this day and this opportunity to speak with you, I just I got to tell you, thank you for saying yes. Uh, we don't have enough people saying yes to the Holy Spirit. We don't have enough people saying yes to God and just trusting that he's got the best and he loves us and he wants the best for us and he wants to use us in ways that we can't even imagine. So uh, you've been an example to uh, what it means to say yes 
to chase God-sized dreams, and uh, you, uh, you've definitely made an impact. And more people than I know that you're aware of, you've said that before, but just to reaffirm to you, there's a ton of people out in Wyoming and even in our great circles that know you because of the mouth of the fact that you've been able to say yes to God. So thanks, brother. Great. Thank you so much, Josh. And uh, uh, closing thought, my, my final pitch, if you will, uh, yesterday is history, tomorrow is mystery. Win the day. Yeah, love it, buddy. I uh, appreciate you, man. This was awesome. And, and uh, you and your family have a great, great day and a great weekend. And we, uh, we wish nothing but the best for you, buddy.